We want to remind our listeners that this program is for informational and educational purposes only and not intended to substitute for professional veterinary medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. The Animal Medical Center does not recommend or endorse any products or services advertised by SiriusXM. Welcome to Ask the Vet with Dr. Ann Hohenhaus. This is the place to talk about your pets and get advice with a top veterinarian from the Animal Medical Center in NYC. Hear from the leading authorities on animals and give us a call to ask your questions. Now, here's your host, Dr. Ann Hohenhaus. Hi, everyone. I'm so glad you could join me today on Ask the Vet here on Sirius XM Stars Channel 109. I'm Dr. Ann Hohenhaus. I'm your host for Ask the Vet this week and every week. I'm a board certified internal medicine and oncology specialist at the Animal Medical Center, the Schwarzman Animal Medical Center in New York City, the largest not-for-profit animal hospital in the world. For my listen, new listeners, Ask the Vet is also available as a podcast. So if you can't tune in on Sirius XM, you can download Ask the Vet on any major podcast platform. Just uh, look for Ask the Vet. At the Animal Medical Center, we keep families together by providing them absolute best care for pets. Now, later in the show, I'm going to answer some really tough client questions this month. But if you have a question and you want me to answer it on next month's show, you can call and leave me a message on our toll-free voicemail, and I'll answer that question next month. The number is 866-993-8267. And if you don't have a pen or pencil and didn't get that copy down, I'll give it again later in the show. So when we take a break, get your pen and paper. We have tons of information for you today on our show, and I'm so excited to have our special guest who's going to is a guest this month for Poison uh, Prevention Month because pets get poisoned an awful lot from things you couldn't even imagine. But first up, our trending animal story. It's time for the Internet's most talked about animal. This month's trending animal story comes to us from one of my most favorite cities in the world, Osaka, Japan. It's about rescue cats and how rescue cats actually rescued a restaurant from going out of business. In Osaka, there is a miniature railway-themed restaurant owned by Naigoki Toroka, and the restaurant was doing well until the pandemic shut down not only his restaurant, but everyone else's restaurant. And he was thinking about closing the doors for good when an unlikely hero in the form of a stray kitten showed up at his doorstep. Taroka and his family took in the kitty and named him Simba. And within days, Simba's mom and Simba's littermates showed up at the restaurant door. And even though they had limited funds, they couldn't turn these adorable kittens away. And so almost immediately, the kittens moved in and decided that they most liked to play amongst the perfectly scaled model train dioramas featured in the restaurant. So although small in real life, the kittens towered over the miniature landscapes, looking very much something like out of a grade B Japanese movie with um, Godzilla in it. So Taroka began taking photos of the frisky felines playing and lounging in their tiny locomotive world and posting on Instagram. Meanwhile, Taroka decided he would reinvent his restaurant as a cat sanctuary where patrons could interact with stray cats as they dined. 
and even adopt them if they found one they loved. The restaurant became so popular that Taroka turned the second floor into a kitty play area and cat shelter. Taroka continues to add new cats to his restaurant rescue and will travel as far as 200 miles to get a cat in need of a home. He's been responsible for finding homes for more than 60 stray cats and has taken dozens more off the streets. If you want to see these cute kittens and their train home, you can Google cats in Japan at a train theme restaurant and see photos of these kittens and trains. March is Pet Poison Prevention Awareness Month, and with that, I am so excited to welcome my special guest, Dr. Tina Wismer. Dr. Wismer is the medical director of the ASPCA Animal Poison Control Center, a place that the Animal Medical Center calls frequently when we have a poisoned pet to take care of. Dr. Wismer is responsible for overseeing medical recommendations made by the veterinary staff at the Poison Control Center. She's also highly involved in lecturing, writing, and coordinating the ASPCA's extern program. Dr. Wismer learned her, earned her undergraduate degree from Ohio University of Finley and a DVM from Purdue University. Dr. Wismer is a diplomate of the American Board of Toxicology, which this is something that my listeners have not heard of before, and we're going to talk more about that. And she is also a member of the American Board of Veterinary Toxis Toxicology. She's written peer-reviewed toxicology articles and book chapters. She's an adjunct professor at the University of Illinois and previously a visiting professor at St. Matthews University in the Caribbean. Uh, she's a, consult, a consultant for uh, Veterinary News Network and a master gardener, which I wish we had time to talk about that on this show. Dr. Wismer, thanks so much for taking the time to join me here on Ask the Vet. Thank you for inviting me. So we've had a lot of veterinary specialist guests, but I'm going to be willing to bet that many of my listeners have not even heard of a board-certified veterinary toxicologist, simply because I don't think veterinary toxicologists usually see patients. And so people would not meet someone like you uh, unless um, they were at a cocktail party where you confessed what you do for a living. So can you tell the, our listeners about what it means to be a board-certified toxicology specialist? Sure. So being a uh, toxicologist, we, we do, we tend to hide out in, I shouldn't say strange areas, but we don't have a whole lot of public facing um, events. So we work in diagnostic labs. We may work for uh, pharmaceutical or research companies or my job where I actually work um, on, a, on the phone at the 24 hour animal poison control center hotline. So I consult with mostly veterinarians, but also with owners on how to treat potential poison patients. Yes. And I, I have spoken to you or your staff on more than one occasion when some pet has eaten something that it shouldn't have. Um, so how does a client, how does a pet owner um, recognize that their pet has been poisoned? So most of our cases of poisoning are accidental, and it's things like, I dropped my pill and the dog ate it, or I forgot and left his medication on the counter 
and the cat got into it. Or, you know, I left that plate of brownies in the middle of the table and the dog jumped up and ate it. So most of our cases are accidental and people know that their animal got into something. But occasionally we do have those cases where, you know, the signs are, you know, odd. And we do ask if there's potential toxins in the environment, you know, in the household that the animals could have gotten into. I know that our emergency room will, the admission list will often say potential toxin because the pet's weird and it was fine yesterday and it's weird today. And, and sometimes they get better and we actually don't know what happened. So how does one get involved in the toxicology world? So I started out uh, in daytime practice um, and then moved into emergency medicine, really loved emergency medicine, but realized that the toxin cases were my favorite. And I also realized I come from a family of, of educators, right? Like everyone in my family is a teacher. And I really enjoyed, you know, teaching clients or now I get to teach veterinarians about what to do and how to treat these cases. So it was kind of accidental that I fell into this job. And what what happens behind the scenes at the ASBC Animal Control Center? Like what's going on in, in the background when I call and say, oh, I have a dog that just ate all its heartworm medicine? Yeah. So we're going to ask um, important questions about the pet itself how much it weighs, how old is it, is it, does it have any kind of health problems, what type of, you know, heartworm medication it got into, how many, you know, potentially. We'll then figure out a potential dose and tell you, okay, this is what we expect to happen and this is how we would recommend treatment. Um, a big part of my job is actually helping to write protocols um, so that my veterinarians have this information at the tip of their fingers on the computer. So if I call up and say my dog ate its entire package of heartworm medicine, one of your doctors types in heartworm medicine and something comes up on your screen or their screen in, 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 the, in the phone room. Right. So what would happen is if you gave me the name of the medication, the ingredients are going to come up um, and I'm going to see how many were potentially ingested. Yep. Do the math. And then I can figure out, okay, at that dosage in this weight of dog, what my potential problems could be. Yeah. So I was really surprised during the, the recent cold snap in New York, we had AMC had a number of pets admitted to the hospital for eating hand warmers. Those things I used to put them in my boots when I went skiing, those little pouches, packet things that when you take them out of the wrapper, they start warming up. So I guess I... I don't, I'm not such a good emergency veterinarian. And so I didn't realize they were poisonous. And I'm thinking if I didn't, maybe people didn't, you know, pet owners didn't realize it. What's up with the hand warmers? Yeah. So it's really interesting what dogs will eat, but those hand warmers contain iron powder. So if dogs ingest them while they're still warm, we do have to worry about potential thermal burns, but we can also see potentially some iron toxicosis, right? And iron poisoning can present as vomiting, stomach ulcers, and if they get into enough of it, it can affect the liver. Now, the interesting thing with these hand warmers 
is once they are done, right? Once they are cold, so eight to 12 hours later, the iron inside has changed into iron oxide, which is rust, right? And that's going to cause vomiting, but it doesn't hurt your liver. So it's one of those things that the toxicity is going to depend upon how long it's been activated. So can you get into the mind of a dog and tell me why, what would make a dog want to eat these hand warmers? I, they don't look appealing at all. Right. I have no idea why they eat half the things that they do. Um, I think with dogs, it's, you know, take a bite and then think, huh, was that food or was that not food? Uh, well, I was wondering if since it was they might be in your gloves, did you have food on your fingers and you put your gloves on and then maybe they tasted good? And then when you threw them away, the dog snarfed them down. I don't know. I, I, I spent a lot of time thinking about that and said, why? It's easy to see when you drop a pill on the floor, it's moving and the cat or dog pounce on it and then it just goes right down. And it's easy to see why a dog might eat an entire box of heartworm medicine because they taste, they appear to taste really good. Mm -hmm. But hand warmers, they're like white, chalky. Yeah, they just don't seem appealing in any way, shape or form. Yeah. Um, AMC has been on a rash of uh, actually of toxicities lately, and we've had um, AMC's emergency room published a paper about using a nutritional product to treat toxicity. So this product is normally administered intravenously to animals that can't eat and provide them with calories and nutrition. It's a lipid or a fat product. So I think that the fact that you can use that to mitigate certain toxicities is really cool, but you probably can explain it better as to why we would use intravenous lipid to fix somebody who's got a toxicity problem. Yeah, so you're right. It is fascinating. So a lot of toxins are fat soluble, right? So when you ingest a toxin and it gets absorbed out of your stomach and it goes to your bloodstream. It then has to go to whatever receptors in the body where it you know, does its uh, work. So in these cases, because they're fat soluble, we give fat intravenously and that intravenous fat binds those toxins and it can't leave, right? It can't get to the receptors and cause problems. So the fat gets metabolized and the toxin gets removed from the body. It, it it and the the dog in this report that our ER talked about was they infused the lipid and the dog was like much better like magic like instantaneously it didn't take very long. Yes, it is a uh, the fat product is a milky white color. So many times we refer to it as magic milk because it does seem to be magic. Yeah, it 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 certainly seemed like magic on, on this particular patient. Um, but hard to understand why you would choose. It's not intuitive why that treatment works. So a few years ago, I heard a talk at, at the ASPCA at Berg Memorial on 92nd Street, which is, you know, our one of our neighbor veterinary hospitals. Uh, somebody from your group who talked about new toxicities at the time. And at that time, the toxicities were Gorilla Glue and paintballs. And I just found that really fascinating. So I haven't heard as much about Gorilla Glue and paintballs yesterday, but I heard that you're about to announce your top 10 toxins for 
2021. So can you give us um, some information about that list? Uh, because hopefully it's going to be out by the time our listeners hear this show. Yes. So every year we go through all the items that we get calls about. And number one last year was over-the-counter um, items. So things like ibuprofen, acetaminophen. Um, and another thing that was very popular last year were herbal medications, uh, things like weight loss herbal medications. Um, and I think that's because, right, we all stayed home during uh, COVID and we all put on a little weight. So we were all hoping for a magic uh, uh, bullet there. But a lot of those uh, herbal products contain stimulants. So we were seeing dogs being poisoned by that. The second most common group was human prescription medications. So things like uh, heart medications, antidepressants, and um, ADHD medications for children. The third was food. And we also last year got a lot of calls about like protein powder supplements or those protein bars along with, um, you know, grapes and raisins and onions and garlic. Number four was chocolate and chocolate. Um, we kind of consider chocolate its own category because otherwise it would be the leader every year. Uh, we get crazy amounts of chocolate calls, uh, more than one every 15 minutes year round. Followed by plants. Uh, plants um, have definitely moved up the list the past couple of years as gardening became very popular uh, during COVID. And then following that was household toxins. So things like cleaning products um, and then rodenticides um, and insecticides and then garden products such as fertilizers. Quite, quite the hit parade. And do you think that there's something... Did you see something new this year um, that you hadn't seen before or saw more? Well, you already said you saw more herbal medicines and protein powders and bars, but is there something completely new that, that you saw? So on the veterinary product side, we saw a lot of dogs eating calming chews. Okay. So couple things. Number one, a lot of us got COVID puppies, right? And they didn't get the best socialization, so they may have a few behavior problems. And as you mentioned, dog medications, many times they're very tasty, right? They're chewable. So dogs, instead of just taking one of the calming chews, will eat the entire bag. Um, so that really was uh, a popular toxin last year. So does it make them sick? depending upon what's in it. Certainly we can see, um, you know, sedation. We can see them being wobbly like they're drunk. Some of them actually can contain items that can be potentially uh, toxic um, in high doses. So things like hops or um, uh, tryptophan. Oh, I think we had a dog at AMC that ate hops and was very, very sick. Yeah, that was not, I think that dog was really ill. Um, you know what I'm surprised is not on this list because I kept track one year of now this is just the admitted dogs, not the dogs that came in and maybe were made to vomit and sent home, but of the admitted dogs um, that came to AMC, the top two in a, a couple month period were chocolate 
no surprise. And of course, I happened to choose the month of February and March, which encompassed two chocolate holidays, which would have been Valentine's Day and Easter. But um, marijuana was was right up there. And so that's really common here. Uh, Net that doesn't make your list. It did not make our list, uh, but we went from approximately 700 calls about that in 2020 to almost 6,000 calls about that last year. So it's definitely become more popular um, for pets to get into. And that lipid intravenous fat therapy that you were talking about is one thing that we use to treat marijuana toxicosis. What I think is just incredible is the that these dogs will often present for straining to urinate. And I I can't figure out why why they would do that. But that's a very consistent people think the dog has a bladder infection and then they bring it in. And then you ask a couple of questions and they're like, oh, yeah, it did get into the stash. And so um for for people out there, if if you are not sure your dog has been nibbling at your stash, but you notice it's seemingly having urinary tract signs, maybe it just is having a little marijuana intoxication, which it's that's just so strange that that, in fact, is um, the one of the signs that our ER sees an awful lot. Yes, they tend to be overreactive. They tend to be a little disoriented. And yes, they have urinary signs. Sometimes they'll dribble urine. Um, it's thought it's due to dogs making a different metabolite um, than people do. Or cats don't make that metabolite either. So cats don't have that problem. I don't know that I've ever seen a cat that's been in. Oh, maybe I have, but it's mostly um, inhaled smoke. It, it Cats... You know, you can't get cats to eat the food you want them to. So they're they're not as big at eating things. Is that true? Do you get more calls about dogs? Oh, so many more calls about dogs. Um, The only category that we get more cat calls about than dogs are actually plants. Um, We get more cats than plants than dogs. But otherwise, it's all dogs all the day. Um, Because... Yeah, they see that spider plant and they just can't control themselves. They just have to mow it down. Um, But spider plants, other than maybe causing your cat to throw up, are not toxic. Correct. Um, And so for those of you who wish you had a plant but have a cat, a spider plant is good, except it'll probably last like 30 seconds once the cat discovers it. It'll be a stump of spider plant left over. Uh, good news is they make a lot of babies. You can just plant more. Um, so how many, you said you get, went from like 700 to 6,000 calls a year about marijuana. So how many calls do you get a day if you got 7,000 alone about marijuana in a year? Yes. So we get approximately, um, calls on about 850 cases a day. And that can actually, for each case, it can take more than one call. Um, So actual phone calls that hit the center is pretty close to about 1,200 a day. Like how many phone lines do you have coming in? Those phones must (laughs) ring constantly. We do. And we actually have a very large staff. Uh, Right now, I think we're up to about um, 60 five veterinarians and almost a hundred support staff. And 
are there people that live in different time zones so that they're not up all night answering your calls? <laughs> yes, we have people all around the country. Uh, most people work remotely. Um, so, yeah, they can, you know, not have to get up at, you know, 4 a.m. Um, and they're more than willing to work the later shifts. I, I, I never even thought about that till now. So when people call in, um, I guess we should tell our listeners what number they would want to call if their pet has eaten something and they're worried about that pet. Um, they can call the hotline, right? Pet owners can call. Yes. Mm -hmm. And what would that number be? 888-426-4435. And explain a little bit. If if my pet eats all its heartworm medicine and you say, I call and you say, that dose can make your pet sick, you need to go to the ER and have its stomach pumped, then what happens after that? Sure. So we send the case number um, along with the owner. So if the veterinarian has any questions on what kind of treatments need to be done, they give us a call and we'll walk them through uh, therapy. So as many calls as it takes. Some calls are simple, right? Oh, it's not going to be a problem or it may cause mild stomach upset. Others are much more involved. Uh, some of our uh, rat and mouse bait calls, you know, can take you know, 30 calls to get everything resolved over, you know, a month or two. Yeah, it, it some of these are are very serious. And I, I know that at least when I did more general practice, I was very grateful to have that number to call uh, to back me up because you guys know so much more about each toxin than I could ever come up with on my own. And in an emergency, it's a problem. So one of the concerns I have, though, is yes, pet owners can call your hotline, but when should a pet owner call the hotline versus put the pet in a car and go to the ER? Sure. So we have what we call buds. And if your pet has buds, it should see the vet. B is for bleeding, right? If you're bleeding, don't waste time on the phone talking to me, right? Go to the vet. U is for unconscious. D is for dyspnea or difficulty breathing, and S is for seizures. So that's good out there, guys. Yes. <laughs> so bleeding, unconscious, difficulty breathing, or having a seizure, then that pet needs to go to the ER, and you should let the ER people call poison control if it's appropriate. And and trust me, the poison control number is taped to the wall by a phone in every ER in the country would be what I would say there. Um, so should a pet owner, if they know their pet ate something that they think might be toxic, should they make a vomit? Really depends upon what it is. Um, there are definitely things that we get concerned that making them vomit can actually make things worse. So always call your veterinarian first or give us a call if they're unavailable and we can determine that. Um, things like cleaning products, right? If it burns going down, it can burn coming back up. We don't make those animals vomit. And the other thing is that most people don't have um, something at home that is going to be reliable to make a pet vomit. Um, sometimes they say to give peroxide. I think it's iffy. Do you, is, I don't think that's a great vomit causing thing. Do you? 
So with peroxide, it has to be the correct toxin. It has to be the correct dose. And it has to be a dog, right? We do not give peroxide to cats. That can actually be very dangerous. There are no um, ways to make a cat vomit at home. Um, Although we do always joke about having a priceless oriental carpet. That would probably work. But (laughs) otherwise, no, those kitties need to go to the vet. So in some cases, yes, we use peroxide. In many other cases, they need to go to the vet for uh, veterinary. And that, that I think is really, really important is that you can find, oh, peroxide will make them vomit on the internet. But the problem is, A, not for cats and B, it doesn't always work. So um, not, not the optimal thing. So we have a couple of minutes left. Um, I think you should give your phone number again in case somebody didn't have a pencil to copy it down. And then what about your web address? Because there's a ton of information on the ASPCA uh, Poison Control Center website. What, what, What address would people go to to look up stuff? ASPCA.org will get you there. And we have both a toxic and non-toxic plant list. And we've got articles ranging on things like cleaning products, uh, mouse and rat bait, um, you know, ibuprofen, acetaminophen. There's a lot of good educational materials on there. Yes, a whole lot of good educational materials. I I go there very frequently myself to look up things that I'm either interested in or want to confirm because um, the ASPCA is the source for pet poison information. Uh, We have a couple seconds. Is there something that I didn't ask you that you think pet owners really need to know? Um, I think it's important that you train your visitors when they come to your house, right? You and I may know not to leave our purse or backpack on the floor, right? But grandma, right? Grandma's purse is probably the worst place for a pet to get into um, or, you know, backpacks. So make sure that we train our guests that, you know, things need to be kept away from pets. New York City pets seem to like to eat the socks and underwear out of luggage of house guests as well. So I would say get grandma to put her pocketbook away and get your guests to either close their bedroom door or zip that suitcase shut because we take a lot of uh, fabric out of animals when company is around. I think that's a great ending point. And I want to thank Tina Wismer for joining me today on Ask the Vet. And when we come back, I'm going to have some interesting animal news. We're back with Dr. Ann Hohenhaus on Ask the Vet. Call now with your pet questions on Sirius XM Stars. Welcome back to Ask the Vet here on Sirius XM Stars Channel 109. This is Ann Hohenhaus, and I just want to remind you that if you have a question about your pet's health, call and leave me a message on our toll-free hotline and I'll answer your questions on next month's Ask the Vet. The number to call and leave a message is 866-993-8267. And now for the animal news. It's time for Animal Headlines, the biggest animal news from across the world. I'd like to take a special moment at the top of the news to tell you about a 
most beautiful animal that was taken care of here at the Schwarzman Animal Medical Center. This jaguar named Rico saw AMC's dentistry service, got a CT scan and had his elbow scoped by the surgery team. The handsome devil's name is Rico. And he came to us from the Essex County, New Jersey Turtleback Zoo. And you can imagine that transporting a jaguar from New Jersey to New York was quite the production. Um, Rico came with his own uh, Essex County Sheriff's Office escort. I ran into the guy on the elevator at seven o'clock in the morning and saw his badge and he said he was from Essex County. And I said, oh, I bet the jaguar has his own personal escort, which he did because the jaguar traveled with his veterinary team from the zoo completely anesthetized and arrived at AMC under general anesthesia where he got a root canal for a fractured canine tooth, a CT scan to confirm his arthritis, and an arthroscopic surgery to remove the bone fragment in his left elbow. And if you wanna see handsome, handsome spotted Rico, you can see him on AMC's website. Just go to www.amcny.org and type Rico, R-I-C-O, into the search bar and you'll get to see actual photos of Rico's hospital time at AMC. And now on to some other animal news. Hank the Tank, or as he is known in the press, King Henry is a giant 500 pound black bear. He has forcefully entered nearly 30 homes and damaged properties in the Lake Tahoe, California area in his quest for food. He's a dark coated, light-muzzled grizzly bear who's been on the prowl for the past seven months. And the California Fish and Game Service describes him as a severely food-habituated bear that has lost all fear of people and thinks of them only as a food source. However, newsflash in the next last couple of days, a news article has recently reported that based on DNA analysis, Hank is not one, but is actually at least three different marauding bears. And so when one or two or three of the Hanks are captured, they will be relocated to a sanctuary uh, for food habituated bears. It's kind of like bear rehab. So if you want to see the pictures of Hank the Tank, actually, there's a lot of videos of Hank people's security cameras capturing Hank bashing through people's front doors and windows to get food. I mean, this bear is serious. Um, you can Google Hank the Tank and you'll be able to see the news articles and photos of this bear um, bashing his way through people's houses to raid their refrigerators. Now, our second story is also about a mammal. We seem to have a lot of mammal stories today. The next one is about a sea lion who mysteriously made its way onto a busy San Diego highway. And it has been, this uh, sea lion has been released back into the ocean of a month of rehabilitation. 
Drivers on the highway turned into Good Samaritans and helped rescue the sea lion from the busy freeway until the animal control people got there and could take control. Interesting, the rescue seemed to already know this sea lion who has a penchant for wandering off from the beaches where it's supposed to be living and getting into situations he shouldn't be in. And officials know this because they tagged him with a tracking device. According to SeaWorld San Diego Zoo spokesperson, Tracy Spar, this sea lion needed to be rescued from a few locations over the last several months. One near the San Diego airport, uh, one from a boardwalk in Mission Bay Beach, and finally he was found on the Point Loma Naval Base. My hat goes off to the Good Samaritans who stopped on a busy San Diego highway to help the animal rescue group capture this lion and get him back into the ocean. But I have to tell you, I'm sure that this sea lion is already thinking about his next adventure. And our third story today is yet about another mammal, but this story is actually about the human kind of mammal. While it's no secret that furry animal friends make great companions, a new study suggests that long-term pet ownership may delay memory loss and other kinds of cognitive decline in older older adults. A team of researchers from the University of Michigan, led by Dr. Tiffany Braley, studied 1,300 older adults and found that those that had owned a pet for five years or more staved off cognitive decline. According to Dr. Braley, stress negatively affects cognitive function. The stress buffering effects of pet ownership could provide a plausible reason for the findings of her study. And of course, there's also an increase in physical activity in pet owners involved in taking care of the pet and walking the dog and making sure that they have food and the supplies that they need. More research is needed to confirm her results, but this is the first study of its kind to consider the effect of duration of pet ownership on people's cognitive health. And the results of this study will be presented at the American Academy of Neurology's 74th annual meeting in April of 2020. So if grandma doesn't have a pet, think about getting grandma a pet. If you have a pet health question, just remember you can call and leave your question on our toll-free voicemail number. That number is 866-993-8267. And when I get your question, I'll answer it on next month's show. Just like we're going to do now, we're going to take questions from our listeners. And our first question today comes from a family in Pennsylvania. Hi, we're a family from Pennsylvania, and we have a question about our dog. How come whenever she's by herself, she doesn't eat, but when she is with other dogs, she does? Thank you. So this is a really common uh, situation, is that the pet wants someone around when they're eating. And I can think of two explanations for it. Some pets eat better when there's another pet or another dog or another cat that's eating it in the same time because they are competitive. You know, you don't want to give in to your brother or sister and let them have all the good stuff. So pets may competitively eat. And the other thing that is possible is that the pet just feels happier when there's someone around and therefore feels like they want to eat. I mean, think about 
Christmas and Thanksgiving and birthday parties. You always eat too much at those events because the companionship and it's a fun time. And so you eat a lot more food than you should at parties. And that's because of the, of the social aspect of eating, which I think plays a role of why this particular dog doesn't want to eat when it's alone. So thanks to the family in Pennsylvania for that really interesting question. Our next question comes from Jim, who says he's on the road. Hi, this is Jim. Um, on my way back from uh, Florida, Naples, Florida, to uh, Chicago, Illinois, um, because my uh, boxer, who is 10 years old, um, was diagnosed with a mass um, in his rectal area. Uh, maybe a year ago, and uh, kind of decided not to um, have them operate because he has somewhat of a heart condition. But uh, what was happening is when he would uh, poop, he would uh, there would be some blood coming out, uh, drips of blood, and uh, you know uh, we don't think it's cancerous. Uh, Anyways, the doctor put him on some paroxicam, uh, and he's done well for a year up until Chicago because the, the blood is really bad. And uh, just wondering, you know, is there another medic? You know, it almost looks like a hemorrhoid. Uh, it's protruding now when he tries to poop. So um, besides surgery. Is there an alternative or, uh, you know, do you have any suggestions? Um, if you can ask for that, I appreciate it. Wow. Jim, th that's like about 20 questions rolled into one. I'm going to try and pick the key questions to answer. First, the most critical thing in treating cancer is to have a biopsy of that because for me to be able to choose the right medication for the type of tumor, I need to know what type of tumor this is. And I'm not 100% sure what kind of tumor this boxer has. It could have a tumor of the anal sac. It could have a tumor of the intestine that's kind of pooched out the backside and bleeds as the as the dog defecates. Um, and, and those would have different kinds of treatments. So I can't really advise very specifically because we don't really know what this, this tumor is. Um, boxers are prone to a type of heart disease called arrhythmogenic right ventricular cardiomyopathy, and that causes them to have um, abnormal heart rhythms. But it is possible to safely anesthetize a boxer if you have a cardiologist and an anesthesiologist who will work together to come up with a safe treatment protocol for boxers with this heart disorder. So I think Jim needs to see if he can't find a hospital with these kind of specialists who might be able to devise an anesthetic protocol that would allow this uh, rear end mass to be removed because if it's bleeding a lot, it sounds like it's about to become a really big problem for this boxer. And then the last thing I want to say about this case is um, the boxer has been on a medication called paroxicam for a year. Paroxicam is an arthritis medication for people. 
But in this era of precision medication or precision medicine, there are some tumors that have too much COX-2. It's a particular gene and paroxicam shuts down COX-2. So that's why in some cancers, paroxicam is actually a very reasonable treatment. But its side effect can be blood in the stool or bloody diarrhea. So I am a little bit concerned that maybe the worsening of the boxer situation is because it's having some side effects from the long-term treatment with paroxicam. So I would encourage Jim to look for uh, an anesthesiologist who might be able to safely anesthetize this dog so that we can know what the tumor on the backside is, and also for someone to figure out if the paroxicam is causing the clinical signs and bleeding um, that he's seeing. So thanks so much, Jim. Good luck with the boxer. I hope the rest of the trip was good. Our next question is from Mike with a Pomeranian. Yeah, I've got a Pomeranian named Sparkle, uh, got a bladder cancer and uh, kidney disease. She's currently on a chemotherapy drug called Chlorambucil uh, for the bladder cancer. She won't eat the Hills kid uh, kidney care diet food for her kidney disease. Uh, I've inquired about a possibility about an operation called uh, chemoembolization, and I found a vet here locally that can perform the operation, but she tells me that my dog may not survive the operation. Is there any other possibility uh, for saving uh, Sparkle's life? Uh, this is Mike. Thank you. So um, bladder cancer um, is a tough disease to treat in the dog. And chlorambucil is just one of probably a half a dozen different chemotherapy drugs we use to treat dogs with bladder tumors. So Mike might want to find himself um, a board certified cancer specialist for dogs and see if they have another drug suggestion that might help sparkle. Um, chemoembolization, I'm not so sure that that is the right treatment for sparkle. The idea of chemoembolization is that you put a special catheter into the major blood supply of a tumor, and then you inject um, special beads containing chemotherapy to block off the blood supply to the tumor, and then you hope the tumor dies. The problem in the bladder is that if the tumor dies and leaves a defect in the bladder wall, then urine leaks out of the bladder into the abdomen. And that is something that Sparkle does not want to have happen. So I'm not so sure that chemoembolization is right for Sparkle, but I think that Mike needs to find a cancer specialist who can help him sort through the options. And then lastly, Sparkle has kidney disease and well, a lot of pets with kidney disease don't want to eat the kidney food. Uh, and that the idea behind the kidney food is it makes the kidneys work less hard. But um, cats or dogs and cats often don't like it. There's more than just one kind of kidney food out there. So I would suggest that Mike try some different kidney foods um, and see if there's not one that Sparkle likes better because it really does help dogs with bad kidneys. So I would keep trying with the kidney diet while you're working to find an oncologist for Sparkle. And when we come back from the break, we'll have the news from the Animal Medical Center. We're back with Dr. Ann Hohenhaus on Ask the Vet. Call now with your pet questions on Sirius XM Stars. Founded 111 years ago, the Schwarzman Animal Medical Center started out as a temporary clinic to provide veterinary care to animals who could not afford it. 
And today, the Schwarzman Animal Medical Center continues to give back to the community. And in 2020, AMC donated nearly $5 million in veterinary care through our charitable programs, which include 12 funds to help pets in need. You can find a complete list of these funds on AMC's website by searching community funds. The Animal Medical Center has 120 veterinarians that work together over 20 specialties and services, and last year managed 60,000 patient visits over the course of that year. That's 160 pets who come through our doors every single day. The Schwarzman Animal Medical Center believes that all pet parents should have free access to the most accurate pet health information. And that's why AMC's USDAN Institute for Animal Health Education created an online and easy to navigate pet health library. It's a leading online platform to search the most trusted pet health information from the veterinary experts at the Schwarzman Animal Medical Center. In addition to our online pet health library, the USDAN Institute presents a free monthly virtual pet health event and also a free weekly newsletter containing useful pet health information and tips. All our past pet health events can be streamed from AMC's website, and you can also stream past Animal Lovers Book Club events, including our most recent event with, with Craig Grossi, who's the audit author of Craig and Fred, a Marine, a stray dog, and how they rescued each other. Our next Use Down Pet Health event will be First Aid for Pets, How to Prepare for the Unexpected. And that will be held on April 13th from 6 to 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Pet owners will learn basic first aid procedures for dogs and cats, and what supplies are needed for your pet first aid kit, how to check your pet's vital signs, and how to transport an injured animal. And like Dr. Wismer and I talked about, signs your pet needs to go to the veterinary ER. The next Schwarzman Animal Medical Center Book Lovers Club will feature Susan Orlean, who's a staff writer for The New Yorker and author of On Animals, her collection of essays about domestic and wild animals. And that will be March 9th, 6 p.m. Registration for all these events is free and it's required so that you get the Zoom link to get into our pet health events. I'd like to thank my special guest today, Dr. Tina Wismer, for all her wonderful information and tips for pets on how to prevent poisoning in your pet or how to respond to poisoning. Dr. Wismer works for the ASPCA Poison control center and is a wealth of information uh, for everyone. Don't forget they have a website as well. Everyone, I want to thank everyone who's downloaded Ask the Vet podcast. I really appreciate your support. And don't forget if you have a question about your pet's health, you can call and leave me a message. The phone number 866-993-8267. That's toll free. And you leave a message and I'll answer your question on next month's Ask the Vet. We hope you'll check us out on social media. On Facebook, it's The Animal Medical Center. And on Twitter and Instagram, AMCNY. Be sure to like and subscribe to the show where you get your podcasts and be sure to sign up so you get the podcasts as soon as they launch. I'll be back next month for Ask the Vet here on Sirius Stars XM Channel 109. Thank you and have a great month.